Welcome to our podcast, Yala Israel. We invite you to discover the life and history of Israel, past, present, and future. Yala is a very popular slang expression in Israel, originating from Arabic, meaning, come on, let's go. So, Yala. Hey, Ellen, how are you? I'm great, Leontine. Shavua Tov. A good week to you, Ellen. So tell me, how was your week? Well, another great week. It's always good when, when we're working. I was guiding. Uh, this group had uh, two nights in Tel Aviv, which is kind of unusual. Sometimes you get one night, but not two. And I uh, am amazed with the fast train from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv because I could come home. It's kind of changed my life, this train to Tel Aviv. Uh, they now have a fast train that goes from Yitzchak Navon train station, right across the street from the central bus station in Jerusalem, to the four or five train stations in Tel Aviv, and you can get there in 37 minutes. Okay, so, uh, since yeah. when do we have four or five stations in Tel Aviv? Ah, because it stops at, no, it stops at Hahagana. Yeah. And then it goes to Hashalem. Ah. Hashalom. Yes. And then it goes to Savidor and, Savidor then university, and university. So four, four stations. Four, four, you're right. But I, I usually get off, uh, depends on wh where I need to get off, but usually at the first station, mm -hmm. Hagana, mm -hmm. And it's 37 minutes from Jerusalem to the Hagana station. So, but it's changed my life. And I realized that because I guided all week and then ended in Tel Aviv. And instead of staying in Tel Aviv, I could get on the train and come come back home uh, I know. and sleep in my own bed. So it was it's great. Thank God for the for the fast train. Um, you can also go from Jerusalem to the airport in 22 minutes. Yes. So pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it is cool. And for people, uh, if you come to visit Israel and you arrive at Ben Gurion, and let's say that you the first days you're going to stay in Tel Aviv. From Ben Gurion to Tel Aviv, it's only 11 minutes on the train. So you're there before you know it. You're already uh, there. It's it's an amazing. No, it's great because I always uh, I I have two daughters that live in Tel Aviv, and you have one. Does Joanna still live in Tel Aviv? Yes. So when we went to Tel Aviv to visit or to go, uh, you know, have dinner, took the car, you'd have to fight the traffic, and then you have to find a place to park, and then it's very expensive to park. So it's just it saves. It saves a lot both professionally to go back and forth for guiding and personally it's just uh it's really changed it's yeah. a life changer. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Well we don't have a car, so I would take the bus. Uh which is also um you know, you got into traffic jams and you in the bus it can be very, very busy and then you're really on top of each other. And whereas the train it's it's really so much better. I yeah, agree. So it, and so your week, did you have a good one? Yeah, very good one. I was uh, in Engedi this week with uh, tourists, and uh, we really got on very, very well. These were it was a French, two French friends um, that both came with their uh, children, two guys, uh, and and they brought their children to uh, to Israel for a few days, and we went to Engedi. Engedi is an oasis in the desert close by the Dead Sea and something I never ever do when I work but these people were so nice they told me you know um, bring your bathing suits because if we can go and and swim in the Dead Sea or somewhere else in one of the oasis waters 
we want you also to have a good time. Now, I never ever say yes, but these guys, they were so nice that I decided, okay, why not? La Malo. And I took my bathing suit and I actually stood, which I have not done for many, many, many years, under the waterfall of Engedi, which usually I let my tourists enjoy and I just wait until they finish having fun. But this time I decided to listen to my tourists and I stood under the waterfall. They took pictures, but I'm not going to show them to you. <laughs> do, you do you see the, the smile on my face? Yes. Do you see I'm, I'm almost yes. laughing? Because two and a half years ago, before, yes. before the pandemic... It was, uh, it was, it, I mean, it was hot as Hades. It was Africa hot uh, in the hundreds, which is in the, in the like uh, high 30s, 40s uh, Celsius. And I had a group and I'm, I'm guiding in Engedi and I'm going up, up, up towards the, the big waterfall, David's Fall. And I just, I don't know what, what prompted me, but I looked over to the right and no, hiding. I told you, I think I said, Ellen. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Hiding in a cave. Under a, 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 it's not even, it wasn't even a cave. It was an overhang of, of, of rock curled up against this, as far as she could get into this, this crevice under the shade, <laughs> sat, <laughs> sat Leontine sweating and, oh. and, and panting. And her group was down swimming while she was hiding from yeah. the sun. They wanted to go swim. I said, go swim and I'll wait for you. And, I, I, I like uh, King David, uh, no, uh, King um, uh, Saul, who was actually doing something in a, in a cave at Engedi. And then uh, David went uh, to, to, to cut off a piece of his, uh, of his robe. Uh, this is a very beautiful biblical story. I was just waiting for my group to finish. It was so hot. And then I saw Alan coming by and I said, Alan, <laughs> from my cave. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so it was actually very, very nice. And uh, I mean... I, I always in, encourage people to go under the waterfall, but then actually people encouraging tourists, encouraging me to go under was a first, a first, and it was a very good idea. And I really, really enjoyed it. They took pictures that I, uh, I'm going to keep to myself. So um, we are, as every week, sitting in the bar of the Brown Hotel, Brown uh, Hotel Hanevim in Jerusalem that is hosting us. We have coffee, we have wine, we have croissants, and uh, we're having a good time. Thank you, Brown Hotel. And the subject of today is all about Ellen. It's the Aliyah, the, the reason why Ellen came to Israel. So we talked about my reasons why I came to Israel last week, and this week it's Ellen's turn. So Ellen's turn. So Ellen, tell me why... First of all, when did you come to Israel? So I've been here now permanently uh, almost eight years. So almost eight years ago is when I finally uh, made Aliyah, when I finally immigrated to Israel under the law of return. Okay, and, and what made you come here? So look, it, it, it's a long uh, story, not as complicated as your story, but a long one. Uh, I caught the bug early. I mean, as as long as long ago as I can remember, probably my first memory was was about Israel. Uh, unlike your story, Leontine, I, I was uh, I grew up in a in a very affiliated uh, Jewish family in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, we belonged to a synagogue. We went to Hebrew uh, school after after school. Uh, Hebrew studies and Torah every studies. Day? Like every day? Uh, th in the beginning, it was three uh, days a week. Wow. Okay. And then uh, then I eventually will go to a Jewish day school, which is uh, a private Jewish school. Um, we had a very um, active Jewish community, uh, had a Jewish community center, 
where we would uh, pretty much have a very full Jewish life. So at some point in my life, uh, as early as I can remember, I dreamed about Israel. I had a love affair with Israel as far back as I can remember. Maybe my teachers talked about it, maybe my grandparents, my bubby, my grandmother Bess, my papa Bill, um, and of course my parents uh, were, were Zionist, lovers of Israel. So that's, I, I grew up in that, so I can't remember exactly when or who told me or when I, when I really had this fascination, but it, it, it began early and it stayed uh, forever. Uh, you know, when I think back on these people that, that inspired me and, and taught me, um, and motivated me to, to, to come here, when I think back in the early days, most of them that described Israel and taught me about Israel probably had never up until that time even visited Israel. So they hadn't seen it with their own eyes. So, but your grandparents, did they come here though? Or? Uh, yes, eventually yeah. they, they, they did visit. But early on when it wasn't, it was very expensive to come to Israel. But, but Jews uh, that, are, that are, are affiliated, uh, it's all about Jerusalem. You know, if I forget thee, Jerusalem, let my right hand wither and fall off. We pray towards Jerusalem. We say Bashana Haban next year in Jerusalem at the end of the Seder. So I had this, this fascination from people that probably for generations had this fascination, but had never really touched the land physically. And uh, by the time I was 12, I wanted to come here for my bar mitzvah. Are you uh, asked to come here? I for asked my parents to come wow. for my bar mitzvah. And the, the plan was that we were going to try and come, but circumstances didn't work out. So I didn't come for my bar mitzvah, but I came when I was 17 for a high school in Israel program in Mosenson. I took you to the campus Yes. Uh, there. Today they call it um, Alexander <coughs> Muss, but back then it was called, uh, it was just high school in Israel. Uh, it's two months of uh, study, of history and archaeology and And, and your classroom was, was Israel, was and the so, country. So that was your first time in Israel? That was my first time. Okay, all alone. You came without your parents. I came without my parents. I actually came with a very good friend, uh, Gary Rubel. Uh, he and I came alone from Memphis, and we joined uh, many other uh, students from the, from the Miami area. And when I got here, and when I was experiencing Israel, it was as if everything that I dreamed about was right before my eyes. It was real. It was not just real, it was familiar. It felt like home. I, I was in love. And uh, really from that point forward until today, um, uh, I, I'm very connected to the land uh, and wanted thought in my mind that I was going to definitely live here someday, even at 17. Uh, and then I came, I went to university uh, in Michigan, University of Michigan, I met Diane, my sweet Diane. I met Diane uh, in Ann Arbor uh, the first day of, of class. And uh, we were like, both like-minded. We were both uh, what I call in a positive sense Zionist. We both loved and, and thought the homeland of, the Jewish homeland was Israel. And we both um, wanted to someday be here. Eventually, I will, um, as will Diane, will come here for our junior year abroad. There were studies in, in America. There's a lot of programs where you can, you can go uh, uh, to a, a foreign country and spend your junior year of university there. And so you came together with Diane? Uh, we came together, but she went to Hebrew University because she was more studious than I. And I went to Tel Aviv University because I enjoyed the beach more. Okay. 
Um, Guys, uh, Tel Aviv University is a very, very good university. So it's not that it's not as good as Hebrew University, but I guess uh, if you want to go to the beach often, then it's better to go to U Tel Aviv University. All right. But my, my love affair uh, just deepened. Uh, I used to have this uh, Society for the Protection of Nature map. Uh, and during a year's time, I, I didn't let a weekend or many days go by without um, doing trails of Israel and familiarizing myself with every part of the land. I, I just felt so connected to, to her. Um, and then uh, after I returned um, to the U.S., things moved quickly with completing university and going to law school and becoming a lawyer. And Diane and I got married and we moved to Memphis and we raised our four daughters in Memphis and And I, 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 there I was a trial lawyer, uh, somewhat successful, and, and life happens. And before you know it, we were, we were, our life was there, and we just always talked about being here in Israel. Um, you know, after 10 years of raising the kids and having a little bit of money, we were able to start coming to Israel and made the, a pact that we wouldn't let uh, another 10 years pass. Without, ah, you made a pact. That okay. we, we would come every, we would try and come at least once every two years. And when our youngest daughter, Lily, turned five, we would bring them mm -hmm. uh, every other year. And we did that with the goal of someday moving here. But life did happen. And uh, I don't know that I ever would have come here because I, I don't have, I probably don't have the strength or the, the, the chutzpah, the nerve that, that my wife had. Uh, because at some point in time, um, she a, uh, absolutely said, you know what? You know, there's some Jews that never moved to Israel, but once they die, they, they, they're buried in Israel. You know, you know on, Mount, of on Mount of Olives, yes. you see many people that have never lived in this land, but Jews are buried in Jewish cemeteries here. So Diane finally said she, she's, she's done talking about it. She wants to live here, not be buried here. So she, she made the decision, uh, and I still didn't have the, the guts or the nerve. So we made a, a plan that she and my two youngest daughters, one was already living here, Gabby, and uh, one was uh, finishing university in the United States. And she, Diane and I decided that she would come uh, and I would slowly try and figure out how to, to get here. Uh, but I was, I was happy as a clam because I was, I, I was living the dream. I only didn't realize I was living the dream vicariously through Diane and the three daughters that were living here. Ah, so uh, one daughter remained in the States and yes, you remained in yes. the States. Now, the other, the, the oldest child, Annie, will eventually also move to Israel and then it'll just be me in the United States. Uh, just, uh, it wasn't a good situation. Wow. Uh, But you, you know, were I, not going to separate. You were, no, no. no. We, we, were, we were never closer. This was our plan to, yeah. to be in Israel. Only I wasn't there. Wow. I was physically in Memphis practicing law and thinking that I was there. What were you afraid of? My family of? was here. What, why didn't you come? It was mostly um, uh, ego. Ego. I, I was a lawyer, successful lawyer. Uh, my family was in Memphis, um, and that gave me status uh, that I wasn't sure that I could have um, in Israel. Ah, for sure. No, you don't. <laughs> Our ego yeah. has, has remained in the United States and in Europe. For sure, you have to start all over again. It's very courageous. So in the end, you decided, yes, this is it. I need to go. I'm not sure I made that decision. Ah. Uh, the decision kind of was made for me. Did I ever tell you the story? Of, no, no, no. Okay, so uh, after three years, really almost three and a half years of Diane and the girls, now all the girls living in Israel, me being in our 
big house in Memphis, Tennessee, dreaming of being here. All alone. Wow. Uh, yeah, alone. Probably suffering a little bit of, uh, of um, uh, depression uh, as a result of it. Yeah. Um, I had to have back surgery. You don't remember my back surgery story? Yes. I had back surgery. Uh, and when I had the back surgery, my, two, my, my vocal cords were damaged. Yes, I remember that. And when I was in Israel vi- just visiting... Um, I was, I admitted, uh, uh to the emergency room at Shari Tzedek hospital where they, uh, decided I had to have uh, a trach, tracheostomy. They put a hole through my throat, um, and told me that I was never going to talk or breathe again regularly, um, because I had bilateral paralysis of the vocal cords. Now that's too technical for our listeners, but the, the bottom, the sh- long and short of it was that, that that here I was in a hospital room in Jerusalem being told that as a trial lawyer, uh, I, I didn't have a voice. Wow. And, and just in between us, um, Alan talks a lot, even well, if he's not being well, a lawyer. That's, that's where the story get, starts getting good. I'm <laughs> okay. in the hospital room feeling sorry for myself, uh, lifting up my computer. And every time I lifted the computer open, a pop, pop-up came. Tour guide course in English. I close the computer, tour guide course in English. Close the computer. Every time I look at the computer, it keeps prompting me about this course in English to be a tour guide. I always wanted to be a tour guide in Israel. I didn't think you could do it without having the language of Hebrew. So I got out of the hospital a week or so later. I was having dinner with uh, some friend's house, not able to talk, with my hole in my throat, a hole in my neck. And I'm sitting next to an old friend, Israeli, who said he just quit his, he quit his, his job as a professional businessman and became a tour guide. And he loves it. Best life he's ever had. And I said, well, in my life of talking like this, I said, how, how do you do that? How can a guy that doesn't speak English do this? He said to me, no one that comes to visit Israel that she'll be guiding speaks Hebrew. Yeah, you you know you you said how does a guy a guy who doesn't speak English I mean how does a guy how does a guy who doesn't speak Hebrew can do it? Yes, yes, yes. 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 If you don't speak yes. Hebrew, I, I had this notion that you couldn't be a guide. Okay. Uh, that was Friday night, Sunday morning. I went and registered for the course, the tour no. guide course. Now you you see the irony because you I couldn't speak. Talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I signed up for the course. I went back and told my partners that uh, my law partners that uh, the decision's been made. I'm, I'm moving to Israel. I'm going to become a tour guide. Wow. Yeah. And you found back your voice, obviously, because you're speaking. Six months later, uh, one of my vocal cords healed miraculously. And uh, you, can, you can hear the wow. rest. I haven't uh, stopped talking since. No, that's, that's true. I, <laughs> I, test, I might testify. Now, one, one thing, did your voice, this has nothing to do with the subject, but did your voice change? Is it different with two uh, chords? Uh, it, 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 I get tired. You might hear now uh, talking. It, it, I, I start getting uh, my, my one vocal cord that's, that's working um, has to work extra. Ah. Um, so I'll get tired. When I'm okay. guiding at the end of the day, mm-hmm. uh, I also am weaker, but it doesn't mean I... Okay. Uh, no, I'm just, uh, I, I, I just fi- curious. I can fight through it. Wow. So, so Diane, she took the decision to come here all by herself with three children put them into school and everything, and you stayed in the States and you went up and down. I like, I like to say that, that uh, and, and listeners, please, I, I know this is uh, G-rated, but I like to say that Diane uh, had the balls that I did not. Uh, for sure, and yes. She, she, uh, people say, well, how was it? It must have been hard. 
No, she did all the heavy lifting for three and a half years. She built a, a life for us. Um, and I owe her because I'm living my, my best life right now. Um, you are more happy now here than uh, you were in, in Memphis in, in your comfortable I, life. Look, I've made it to the place that I dreamt about as a, as a, as a kid. Yeah. Uh, and I'm doing the thing I love most, which is connecting people, teaching people about the land of Israel. So it's, to me, it's, it's, um, it's incredible. And I do owe it to, to Diane. Wow. I also owe it to the people that came before me, my parents, my grandparents, my teachers, And, uh, yes, and our, and our tradition. You, yes. Our tradition. Yeah. yeah. Now, one last question. Do you have other family members that did the same, uh, took the same step as you? Uh, no. Uh, I'm the only one in my immediate family that's living here. Uh, I've got two brothers and a sister back home in Memphis. My parents, thank God, are still alive. Uh, they all love Israel very much and visit uh, as often as they can and support everything that we do here. Okay. And, so uh, they, they're happy you're here. Yes. Proud and happy. I'm kind of holding out for some of my nieces and nephews that they that they might uh, someday follow follow our path. Wow! Come home. It's a beautiful success story. Really, very very nice. Um, so the question of today uh, has to do with uh, Judaism. Um, we uh, have a listener who was in um, in Israel and she was invited to a Shabbat dinner with a family in Tel Aviv. And she said they were doing beautiful, beautifully a, a blessing over the bread and the wine. Already she was curious because she said it in the church, they also do a blessing over the wine and the bread. But she was especially curious asking why are there two breads? Why do you have two breads? Why is the person who's doing the blessing holding two breads? So why is that, Alan? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and uh, first, the breads are very special breads um, I, uh, that, that we call challah. One, one challah is challah. Two challah are chalot. Um, and it's a special type of bread. Do you make challah? I made, during COVID, I made challah uh, every week, but now I'm too busy, so I yeah. buy it. Uh, Diane makes challah every week. Um, and why two uh, on Friday night? Uh, the, the reason is when uh, the Jews came out of Egypt um, from slavery under the leadership of Moses, uh, and, uh, and then we receive the Ten Commandments at Sinai, and afterwards the story is that because of certain punishments, we have to wander in the desert for 40 years. Remember that story? Of course. And during that time, living in the desert is very uh, difficult circumstances, and we have nothing to eat. So God will feed the children of Israel, the Israelites, manna. You're going to probably going to say it's manna. manna. Right. I, <laughs> I, I knew it was coming. Manna. You say tomato, I say tomato. You say manna, I say manna. manna. So manna came from heaven. And every night, manna would come down and would cover the ground like a dew. And God gave the Jewish people instructions that they could only take as much as they needed. Each house uh, would get a certain measurement. And if you took more, it would rot and you'd get uh, bugs. Uh, except on Shabbat. On Shabbat, we were instructed to take two uh, portions. On, on Friday. Friday. Yeah. On, uh, right. But right before Shabbat, yeah. on Friday morning, We took two portions of manna uh, to have through Shabbat, through the next day. Um, and as a result, the sim symbolism of having two chalot is to remind us of 
God's miracle and protecting us in the desert and giving us two portions of manna or mana. Mana, exactly, exactly. So that is the reason why uh, we have two halot at the Jewish table on Friday. Now, there are a lot of other things that uh, you do with the bread, first of all, but every family and every uh, Jewish denomination has its own uh, habit. Some of the breads, they will be round. They are breaded, breaded, breaded? No, how do you say it when... uh, the 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 intertwined uh, braided 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 um, and uh, some of them are round some of them are long breads also uh, some uh, people when they do the blessing they will cut a little bit in the bread um, some will not use any knife and just break the bread a- and we dip the bread in a little bit of salt and then the person who does the blessing he is also the first one who is who is going to eat the little piece of bread, and then he is going to give the pieces of bread uh, to other people. So, uh, and you're not supposed to speak in between uh, from the moment that the blessing starts until you are eating the the bread. Ah, uh, that depends if you're Sephardic or you're Ashkenazic. The Ashkenazis don't talk, but the Sephardi, the Sephardi, they, they talk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, they talk all the time. So there you go. You have your answer. So have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Yala Israel. As always, you can find us on Spotify, Buzzsprout, or your favorite podcast app. You can send questions or contact us on Instagram at Yala Israel Podcast. Talk to you next week.